Hey, Tunes and Tumblers fam. Before we get to the show today, we actually have something we've never done before. We have a, uh, a new sponsor daddy that we need to promote. Um, it, it, was a, it was a hard uh, thought war, but we decided that we needed to start doing ads now. Because Why was that, Ryan? Why, why do we need to do ads? The biggest thing is that we've been trying to save up for a, um, a Greyhound bus ticket for Drew to go find his cockatoo that he left behind at a station in um, Paris, Texas. So the way you can help us out and help Drew get back his, his beloved cockatoo <laughs> is <laughs> by checking out Anchor.fm. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the way that we distribute our podcasts, and it's the easiest way to make one. Uh, Pedro, w- what is great about Anchor? Oh my god, what's not great about Anchor? It's free. You have no excuses. It is free. I don't care what your financial status is. It is free. They have creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer in case, you know, you suck at editing or maybe you've had a few too many drinks and you need some help. They can do it for you. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. You just sit back and it will throw it out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many other platforms. And the best part is you can make money with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need in one place. If it's your first time and you want to get into the podcast game, this is how you do it. Yeah, so download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Please, please, this Greyhound bus ticket will not buy itself. Hey, Tunes and Tumblers fam. Today's pairing was made possible by the good folks over at Willow Creek Distillery, who gifted us with some of their premium liqueurs. Unfortunately, the tasting part of today's episode ran a little long, so we had to cut it out. But if you tune in later in the week, we're going to drop a little bonus episode so you can hear exactly how that went. Cheers! Welcome to Tunes and Tumblers by Atwood Magazine. Listening to music is more than just an auditory experience. Tunes and Tumblers explores the way our senses mingle by pairing new and classic albums with cocktail recipes. We invite you to bring out your inner mixologist as we approach the music we love from a unique, immersive, and thoroughly delicious perspective. So put up your feet and enjoy a cold one on us. I'm your host, Anthony, and I write a column for Atwood Magazine every other week of the same name, but I quickly found that drinking alone is a sad sad, horrible business. So I invited a couple of friends to sit down with me, help me make drinks, and to broadcast our thoughts to the world. And they are... Pedro, your mixologist. And Ryan, your music connoisseur. And our guest today comes to us all the way from the great wild north of San Luis Obispo. Uh, Everything north of LA is essentially the wilderness to us. His days find him at Willow Creek Distillery, where he works in his own words as a general public liaison. He manages sales in the tasting room, crafting the experience of sampling their premium brandies and liqueurs. We're very fortunate to have him on the show today, bringing his expertise and a few little gifts for our own little tasting journey. Please welcome Cody Franklin to the pod. Cody, thank you so much for joining us today. You are so welcome. I'm happy to be here, honestly. Yeah, and you made quite the trip. What time did you leave today to Uh, get here? Just shy of 1 p.m. That was a good five hours. But, you know, I, we get used to it up by me. It's kind of like a mile a minute mm. as far as transit time, which I'd imagine for you guys is not the case. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, L.A. is an hour from L.A. That's the saying. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I have no excuse. I mean, I've been here enough. 
Well, you <laughs> landed and we have drinks for you. And really, like, is there a better welcoming gift than that? Good company. Exactly. Sorry, we don't have that for you. Oh, yeah. Oops, <laughs> fresh out. But it's been a couple of weeks, um, and I think it's time that we all caught up. Guys, tell me, what have you been listening to? Um, me, I've been listening to, uh, well, actually, it's a podcast this time. Um, it's called Against the Algorithm. And wow. I think they hit us up on, uh, they like gave us a follow on, on Instagram, and I was decided to go check it out. Um, it's really, it's a really interesting podcast. I really like it. They do a lot of like indie musicians. Their most recent episode was with uh, uh, a group of artists that call themselves Facine. And it was really cool. It was like, it was a lot like this podcast in that it's more of just like a conversation, not just like a boring interview, which mm-hmm. was really cool. They really just sort of go on all these tangents and it was really entertaining. Um, and yeah, it was great. Check it out. Other than that, today's the 10th anniversary of Gorilla's Plastic Beach, so I've been listening to that all day. I was wondering why you had that on when yeah. I came in here earlier. I love that album so much, and then so just had to celebrate today. This is definitely going to be a controversial opinion, but I think Plastic Beach is my favorite Gorilla's album. Oh, it's definitely one of the best. Yes. So I think I'll go next. Um, I've been listening to the new EP by Jack River, Australian artist. Um, she got quite a few nods at the ARIA Awards a couple of years ago. For those of you who don't know, those are the um, Australian uh, equivalent of the Grammys. Um, she first came to my attention when she did like a collaboration with Peking Duck, who's one of my favorite production duos. And her new EP is called Stranger Hearts. And it's just like really kind of ethereal shoegazy, but like with a little bit of an edge, you can tell like she's got this kind of, um, almost waifish type of voice, but it's just got such a power behind it. Like it kind of lulls you into this false sense of security, and then you don't realize like that there's this darkness underneath. The best way I can describe and it is if, like mugged. yeah, you just get mugged. <laughs> no, great stuff. Uh, a great track off of that Dark Star. Um, I also like Later Flights. Um, and you know, it. The best way I can describe it is if it's like, um, the uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine soundtrack meets Hello Kitty. Like that's. <laughs> How I describe it. Wow. <laughs> yep. Go listen to it. Fantastic. Um, I'm listening. I'm finally listening to the rapper from North Carolina, the baby. I got show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> did you, did that happen? I went to a boxing match this weekend. And, uh, <laughs> which I'd never been to. And, um, and every song they played was fire. And I'm now, I'm a believer in boxing. I'm a believer in violence. I'm a believer <laughs> in, um, in hospital trips, I'm a believer in scars. I'm a believer in um, cauliflower ears. In cauliflower yeah. ears, <laughs> irreversible. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, so that's what I've been listening to. I've been in that space. Got some ASAP Ferg in there too. I was wondering so. why there was a hole in the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yep, we're just like, who let the Kyles in here? <laughs> there were a lot of Kyles there for sure. And there was a hole in the wall and a six pack of White Claw in the fridge. I did not know what was going on. <laughs> Yeah, so there you have it. So, Cody, tell us what all the cool kids are listening to up north. I wouldn't know, honestly. <laughs> You're talking about me? Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, um, I guess part pleasure, part work. I've been recording an album, so the majority of what I've been listening to has been practice. Mm. So, vocal practice for me. Uh, a lot of Anthony Green and a lot of Graham Bonnet, 80s singer. Um, interesting guy. Um, honestly, anything that he's done, incredible for falsetto. But Michael Schenkel group, I mean, that guy, his first song, first show, just whipped it out in the middle of his first song and got fired. So 
Yeah, check out Assault Attack. Great album. <laughs> <laughs> Got the insider scoop Michael right Schenker, here. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah, the guitarist. But yeah. Oh wow. Graham Bonnet did his rounds in the eighties. Damn. Do you have some footage of that? Or uh, I, I wish it's probably in the family archive somewhere. My dad probably collected that kind <laughs> of stuff. Trust. The Shaker Trust has it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dang. Yeah. Wow. The family uh, bank. Whatever that's bank a, you want to attest a, that to. I can't think of what's better, that or the Dave Mustaine laser pointer uh, incident. Go on. <laughs> Impossible to tell. <laughs> you can find that one on YouTube. But that sounds good. Excited to hear the album. So it's really cool that you brought all that stuff up because now it's going to be my job to try and find all this on Spotify and put it on the playlist. <laughs> that's... Well. That's how Pictures this works. Worth a thousand words, right? <laughs> I mean, anytime something gets mentioned, any band or any song, it gets put on the playlist for mm-hmm. the uh, for the Spotify. So. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We need like our watch. listeners to know. Family. Yes. They're on there now. Uh. <laughs> That's how that okay. all works. Pencil thin mustache, Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Cheese That's how you fuck up a playlist right for there. three hours <laughs> on a loop. I like that song. Pounding <laughs> ice cold brewskis. Well, Cody, thank you for making the trip. Um, and as much as we like talking outside the bar, I think it's time that we moved inside and got this party started right. But in order to do that, we need to show your ID to our bouncer, the amazing, the storied, the... Um, uh, twice in an iron lung. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> That's one less time than his sister. <laughs> his name is Gerald Highwater. And we add to his story every time we bring a new guest over. <laughs> but do you have anything with us or with you that we can show this guy so I we do, can get you into but the bar? Quick question first. I mean, is that good or bad genetics? If you're going in and out of an iron lung, <laughs> they're just are a you very healthy ad- or not healthy? They're just a very adventurous family. Oh, okay. Well, they were. <laughs> they're dwindling in number. <laughs> yeah. Because of the adventure. <laughs> they, they, were, were. they were. I'll take your word for it. Their father was like George Foreman, just named all of their children Gerald or Geraldine or Geraldina, some form of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Isn't that what uh, the, uh, what's his name? Uh, LeVar Ball? Isn't, that oh, same, yeah. isn't the son's name Ball? One of yeah. the son's names, Ball, his Ball. first name is Ball. It's Ball Ball. That was a trivia question that we had to answer one time and nobody oh, yeah. knew the answer. Didn't one of the Jacksons do that? <laughs> like he named his kid like the same thing, but like in a feminine Oh boy, uh, don't sounds know. Sounds like something they would do. You wouldn't forget that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna name my son boy and my daughter girl. <laughs> just, oh, and then just take them on a blind river trip. <laughs> Nothing beats uh, Dweezil or Moon Unit Zappa. <laughs> oh man, aren't they in their forties now? Um, I think so. Oh wow, sounds, time goes so quickly. Right. But we're dawdling again. Yes, Cody, what do you <laughs> have? Oh yeah, so I have this uh, wonderful unactivated Visa debit card. <laughs> Which, oh, can I see that just in uh, one well, let, me finish, <laughs> let me finish my backstory, sir. You're you know getting a little ahead of the game here. This was okay. mailed to me, and the account number on here, I have no idea what it is. It doesn't link to my account anyway, <laughs> and no one I know's account, my family included. So I. So this is obviously you. yeah, yeah. It could be. It has my name on it. All right. Uh, does that work as an ID? Yeah, absolutely. Although I will say, like. I technically work as an alcohol distributor. Why are you uh, carding me? That's true. I mean, that's actually a pretty good cover. Like a kid dresses up as an alcohol distributor, like just brings a bunch of uh, like booze into the bar. Like I got a delivery here, and they just let them on. <laughs> just put it on a doll. Yeah, go ahead, kid. <laughs> 
Don't get any ideas at home. <laughs> Activate today. Once again, Atwood Magazine and Tunes and Tumblers does not endorse underage drinking, but we have very hilarious ways that it might happen. <laughs> well, Wells Fargo opened an account in your name. That happened. <laughs> do oh, they do that? I'm sure they do. That, that was you like a whole news story. That yeah. was like, yeah, it was a, that was a problem, right? Yep. They yeah, were opening up. Oh wow! <laughs> Sarcastic. Yeah, I, this is this could be direct evidence of that. I, you should join the I class action. Yeah. What are you doing here? I think it's too yeah. late for that. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Tunes and Tumblers, the bar. It looks exactly like where we were before, but this time there's state of mind is different. Yes. Now we're mentally prepared to sit down and to have a drink and to listen to some music. We need somebody to go over to that jukebox right now. And put on something righteous. Ryan. Yes. What okay, do we got? Folks, today we are listening to the seminal 1979 double album London Calling, the third from the English group The Clash, uh, a wonderful mix of punk, rock, ska, and reggae. And in the words of writer Marcus Gray, eclectic experience, punk purism, reggae relaxation, and American aspirations. So that's what we're putting on today. It's not in double album form in the jukebox, I'm afraid. <laughs> It's going to be just one li- link, one list. <laughs> uh, there's no no flipping of any uh, any records going well, then on in the jukebox. The point? <laughs> I know. Yeah. So that's what we got today, folks. How I many tracks? Be more excited. There are 19 tracks on this album. Yes, there are 19 there- tracks recorded, uh, inspired by experiences along Route 19, bus Route 19. Interesting. 19 there, songs. There's like a like a re-release on Spotify that has like 40 tracks on it. Oh my god. So Vanilla tape. so yeah. hard. <laughs> Vanilla tape is the B-side. I have that version too. Oh man, yeah, that's the one. Yep. I was like a little scared when we first decided to do it. I was like, holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, it's... Got some um, work to do. Yeah, I was like, okay, so I should have started last month. That's fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, as, as long as this album is, and at the time, like, you know, having a four-sided album was kind of a big deal, uh, their one that they followed up immediately after Sandinista is... Uh, it's it's eight sides, so that's thirty six tracks altogether. They're just like, oh yeah, we really? can keep going. Yeah, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How long can we make these people listen? Wow. Well, I'm really excited to talk about this album with you guys, but we have some items of business beforehand. Cody, you have brought some samplings of Willow Creek where you work. Can you tell us a little bit about what you brought today? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so essentially, what we are is a distillery. So we create spirits, hard alcohol, if you will, from whatever base we choose to use. The majority of what we do is brandy. We also have some liqueurs. So we have a pear brandy, and then we have our grain-based spirit, Malton Oats, and our Nochina, which is a walnut liqueur. We're going to be using one of these in tonight's... Oh, we're using two of them? Oh, we're using two of them. We're using two of these things in tonight's (laughs) cocktail pairing. And Pedro got the insider scoop before us, so why don't you roll that out for us? I actually knew about all this before you guys came here. Uh, what? Son of, uh, <laughs> that's thanks to Cody. Cody was able to give me some some sort of like an, an insider's perspective on these really really delicious spirits. And so it's I was like able communication to, we got. Yeah, and I was able to come up with some something good for this album. So, um, with London Calling, the first thought I had when I was brainstorming a drink was, oh, something with gin, but. In all honesty, this album doesn't sound, if, if this makes any sense, this album doesn't sound like gin to me. You know what I mean? It, I uh, it doesn't, yeah. like, it's, it's not the kind of thing that I would order when I'm listening to this album. Um, when I listened to this album, what stood out 
the most to me was all the different influences that were in it that I was not expecting. I'd heard all these singles from The Clash before. I didn't realize how many of them were from the same album. Um, so um, listening to like, there, there's a lot of, the, like you said, there's a lot of the ska influence, reggae, and like all kinds of different stuff. And it kind of struck me as an album that I'd hear at like Tonga Hut or Tiki No, this group here, we really like Tiki Bars. Um, so that was sort of uh, an angle I took when coming at this album. Uh, my favorite song is Rudy Can't Fail. And in that song, towards the end, he mentions, uh, they mention a sky high, which I looked up and it's actually a drink. It's a Bahamanian uh, cocktail made with gin and uh, coconut milk. So I decided to mess with it a little bit today so that we could use these dope bottles that we got from Willow Creek. So we're using the malt notes and nutty behavior. Uh, we're putting that with some coconut milk. And then I also really like Spanish bombs, so I decided to throw mm. in some paprika into the drink, Ooh. which sort of gives it a little extra spice. Um, and then just a bunch of crushed ice to keep it nice and cold and garnishing it with... Uh, with I wanted to keep sort of the aesthetic of the album cover in mind, so I used the green and pink, the green being the pineapple leaf, and then we've got some pink straws going in here. Um, wow. So... Yeah. I didn't even catch that. That's ingenious. Yeah, thanks. A work of, a work of art. <laughs> so yeah. this is a drink, and I'm calling it a Rudy's Sky High. Wow. And wow. for those of you who are sober for Lent, like me, Pedro made me my Literally own. nobody. Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> but the one in ten of you who remain silent, Pedro made me my own uh, version of this. I mean, it's, it's not like it at all. <laughs> so what I have in front of me is coconut milk with a dash of cinnamon and then some kvass Russian soda that Ryan picked up from the market on the way home. Just look it up. Got it. <laughs> and it tastes like a white Russian, but it, it won't get you hammered, yeah. which I guess is not something that's good. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but it tastes delicious. Pedro just props all around. Oh, Genius. Thank you so much. Not Cody, lost in the supermarket. Uh, props to Willow Creek because these are some great, yes. great bottles that they, that you brought for us, Cody, thank you. and they worked really well. I can actually weigh in on this a little bit. The, the mocktail scene is actually quite a big thing. I wouldn't say as much up by me because there's no people there, but comparatively, <laughs> like, the, the mocktail is a quite the up and coming thing. As a matter of fact, I would say it's picking up almost as much as the whole craft distilling side is so mm -hmm. there's as much power in what you're drinking as there is in what you know we're doing oh, well thank you yeah. it actually did end up being really good i wasn't expecting it to taste that good but it did he just kind of joked he's like i could throw some coconut milk in a glass for you <laughs> <laughs> it's all that old john Mulaney joke i got this old turnip is that good for you yeah. it's the equivalent of the salad at like a you know the vegetarian option being like a head of you know iceberg lettuce <laughs> yeah exactly but you go to a pizza place and they just give you a half a cabbage. Well, these look delicious, Pedro. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. First things first, I want to come back to something that you said when you were making this drink, Pedro, that this album doesn't sound like gin to you. And I think that that is a good representation for what London Calling is. Because before London Calling, The Clash were seen primarily as a punk group. But this is the album where The Clash became bigger than punk. It became bigger than the struggles of working class white people in England. Like, this is an international sound, right? Uh, what sort of elements did you guys grasp onto 
the first time listening to this where you're like, oh, this is different than I was expecting? First time, do you mean first time ever hearing it or with the even, most recent iteration? Um, recent iteration is good, too. I think that there's just so much that can be gleaned from this album no matter when you listen to it. Like, what mm. jumps out at you as as kind of being outside of the box, especially for the time period, you know, late 1979? Uh, you have to think back. I mean, what was that, 40 years ago, roughly? Yeah. And they didn't have the internet. I mean, all things considered, the ability to pull that many genres and put it together on one album is rather incredible. Mm-hmm. As a musician, that is a very challenging thing to do. Power to them. Oh, yeah. Jimmy mm-hmm. Jazz probably stands out the most because, like, I had forgotten that one. Because, you know, a lot of people know Clampdown, London Calling, Rudy Can't Fail, uh, Train in Vain. But I'd forgotten that Jimmy Jazz song. That's a, that's a strange one. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. one, I don't, know how, I don't know how much digging people have done behind that one, but that one stood out to me as, like, wow, they were, they were doing a lot here. They were mixing some kind of lounge influences a bit. Oh, and yeah. almost made it, like, a weird noir thing a bit. It even had, like, bar sounds, like atmosphere. Mm-hmm. the recording which yeah that was really cool the other thing which um you know is, is ties back to another episode we did was of course lovers rock that one i'd never listened to that song before <laughs> like had you listened to that song cody before on this album i'd for i didn't realize this one existed yeah mm-hmm. yeah that, and, that was surprising yeah and then i was kind of looking and it's sort of a strange song for for the clash i mean they're having fun they're taking the piss a bit with it you know? <laughs> that's an, but that's an interesting point i want to stop you for a second like what Please. you say it's an interesting thing for the clash but what does that mean if, from a band that's mm, willing that's to true. play you know 10 different genres on the same album what is their sound that's true i guess leading up to it when you had give them enough rope it was something you wouldn't have heard on that necessarily sure but i think it, but as a whole like compared to what's going on in the album i guess it's not um I guess it's not surprising. I mean, the reggae and dub influences and the taking in that Jamaican lover's rock sound, I guess, you know, when you look back, it's expected. But um, you're right. I mean, maybe it does make perfect sense. That, that sound was huge at that time, right? You know, the 77, 76 punk movement was its own thing. And you have the early Clash albums up to exactly what you were saying. I mean, like, that part, the whole, like the moving from punk to whatever they were for this album. I mean, you have the whole political landscape, which is impossible to avoid for the time period. Right. And there's there's a lot of the whole racial integration and then the whole ska and reggae being introduced into that. So that comes over as well. But the rest of the influences, where do those come from? That's what I personally still don't fully grasp. Mm. Yeah. And I think that that's also a good point that, you know, they didn't have the internet back then. Like it's, we talked so much about, artists and especially young artists today able to mix genres with such fluidity and you know you don't kind of bat an eye at it anymore but it was hard back then like getting your hands on these lps and these and these singles in order to even hear them to even integrate them into your sound and know how to do that that's kind of amazing to me um and you know this album just hit its 40 year anniversary i want to I want to mention that really quick. Like one of the main reasons we did this album is because back in December, uh, it was the 40th anniversary of this release. How do you guys feel that this album has aged in 40 years? Do you find it still relevant to like the way pop music is now? Oh yeah. It doesn't sound dated to me at all. No, definitely not. 
it doesn't sound like it's from a particular time or place necessarily either. You know, I kind of expected that was coming, and it, I have a multifaceted answer to this. I'm gonna get into analytics here. So you appraise the music based on the sound, right? What about lyrical content? It's impossible not to view punk as a genre, even though this isn't an objectively punk album. I don't think there's anyone in the punk scene that would say that Joe Strummer is not a punk. Mm-hmm. All things considered, how do you take politics that were relevant in 1979 and apply them to today? Even though the song still may hold up sonically, the lyrical content draws from political turmoil in England from 1979. So that has to be juxtaposed with the sound of the songs, right? I mean, yeah. You listen to the song and say it's great, but do you really understand where he's coming from when he sings London Calling? I mean, I I don't. I I've heard that song many, many times, but there's no possible way that I can get what he's trying to say. I'm just not from the same place and not from the same era. Even so, I think there's a lot in this album that like yes, there's like a lot of politics obviously ingrained in the in the music and lyrically and like all the content, but a lot of it is also sort of um I feel like on the like in the bigger picture, it's like a sort of like a sort of announcement of like this is these are the end times kind of thing, and like that's that's sort of like a timeless theme. I feel like you know since ancient times to now, like you see it on the streets. Um, I, for me, that's sort of that was sort of like the bigger picture is just like everything's sort of falling apart, and this is it, and and it's just sort of constantly happening, impending which, doom. Yeah, basically, which I feel like pretty much any decade could like everyone is sort of has that moment in like just about any decade. Yeah. I don't, and I don't know if it's a good thing, but so much, so much of it hasn't changed in some ways too. Like lost in the supermarkets about like, you know, feeling alienated under capitalism and too much choice and, <laughs> and, and that causing apathy politically. And it's like, we've only gotten worse since then. Like they mm-hmm. predicted it and we haven't really hasn't gotten much better. And there's kind of a universality about the politics in this record too. Um, and this was this album came out, you know, just before Margaret Thatcher uh, took over as prime minister in England and kind of, you know, destroyed working class solidarity. I mean, you can think whatever you want about the Iron Lady, but like people in the punk scene are not going to look too favorably at her, especially if you listen to the specials like their song Ghost Town was about how working class disenfranchisement in the breaking up of the unions led to like the the scene going away like suddenly these guys hadn't no place to go anymore and we're seeing that a little bit here even though it was right before that era i think that like as time goes on we can apply this to new struggles and new um and 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 new things that happen to us i mean like you look at a song like revolution rock and it doesn't just speak to English working class. It speaks to anyone who feels that they have to run themselves down for money. So especially now, like we have like huge political movements in an election year in the U.S. Everyone's hoping for change. Everyone's thinking it's the end times. You know, to me, London Calling is the perfect <laughs> soundtrack for that. It's the end of the world. But, you know, it's poppy and it's fun at the same time. We're <laughs> but we have spotify so (laughs) 2020 yeah that's just so interesting to me i mean like you go on your timeline and you see things about the coronavirus you see things about uh income inequality and then it's just like oh but your favorite band is playing 
downtown tonight. <laughs> and oh, look at this. The, the thing that this poodle is doing is going to make you go, aw. And it's just... <laughs> mm, it's we're, true. We're kind of diverging from the topic a little bit, but like, I don't know. To me, I think Aldous Huxley was exactly right about how liberty dies, and it's not through totalitarianism. It's through complacency. It's through making the masses docile. That's what I thought was so interesting about songs like Clampdown or Death or Glory, where he's there's sort of this theme of like being of um, like resigning yourself a bit and being a little cynical, but also pointing out that if you want things to really change. There has to be something there has to be a dramatic shift that happens. Like I think of Death or Glory, where he's sort of like, I got a really cynical song, right? In some ways. I mean, it's a great it's a great song, mm-hmm. but he's also kind of. St- Saying like, yeah, if you, you know, if you fuck nuns, you're going to join the church kind of a thing. (laughs) He's like saying that, like, we've heard it all before. It's all just a, it's all a story that doesn't mean anything. Like if you do this, you know, if you do this one thing, you're eventually going to come back around. The society that you're criticizing, you're just going to go work for it eventually. So what does it matter? Mm. He's saying that in one way. That's how I interpret some of it. But that also then, if you go a step further and then think, well, so what that's kind of saying is you really have to real change is needed you can't dramatic a dramatic shift is needed and that's sort of what he's calling for it seems like you know isn't that the story with like a lot of those punk bands from from the early uk scene like you know eventually they're just going to sell out and become a part of the you know the corporatization of music like punk was started as a response to kind of the like commercialization of rock music and the overindulgence of of like 70s rock yeah and then it became commodified yeah I'm almost immediately do you want to talk about the sex pistols like <laughs> mm. we certainly could that's a really great point though I mean what defines punk rock I mean it probably varies depending on the person right but is mm-hmm. it a sound or is it a thematic topic or is it a combination of the two Right, or a state of mind, right. or, a, or an energy, or a spirit. Yeah. It seems to really be the case with this album, where none of the songs are overtly punk. I mean, even contemporarily, Generation X, Billy Idol's band, was playing a more punk sound than The Clash was. Right. But does that make them any more or less punk? I mean, look what Billy Idol did with his career. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what about, what about someone like Billy Bragg? Like, is that guy punk? In some ways, he is. It's because he's all about, you know the attitudes there but it doesn't sound like what you think of with punk you know like fast right you know? this is interesting um about almost 10 years ago we had uh this guy who was my friend's ex-boyfriend who came to stay with us for a summer and he was definitely in like the diy punk scene um and he thought that punk like he was a very hardline punk ideologist about how the only punk songs are the like sung by bands who don't sell out and who talk about issues that haven't been brought up before. Mm. So, and a little backstory about this guy, he founded the Occupy movement. Like he went away that summer and helped organize the Occupy movement because like their leadership fell through. And so like he was definitely a walk the walk kind of guy. At this point in my life, I was just like, yeah, Green Day. Yeah, The Offspring. Like, <laughs> yeah, Corporate Rock is awesome. Who does that song, Corporate Rock Sucks? Is that, is that Anti-Flag? 
think it's anti-inflammatory. Sounds right. It's yep. a good guess. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely didn't buy into that at the time. And I think that there's like a good balance because you know, how is your message going to reach the most people and and affect institutional change that you're purporting? And I think that's with an audience. If you guys ever read um, Tranny by Laura Jane Grace, like most of the book is her talking about the struggle that she has in trying to make money from her art and the way that the scene fought against that. She's like, I'm not even trying to become rich. I'm just trying to live my life. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. How? dare <laughs> yeah interesting. Mm-hmm. i think so, so that that's a great definition of punk and the way i always saw it was always kind of like in some ways also imagining like a better world and I, there is this um uh there's this group the screamers an la synth punk band they did a documentary recently that had a panel and they were kind of talking about this and um and i think this album kind of does that it sets out to imagine a better world in a lot of ways socially politically i mean even lovers rock in some ways you could argue was you know, sort of not punk in some ways or not, you know, not cool in some ways. It's a whole, while it's kind of tongue in cheek, he's talking about treating your, I mean, he's quoting the fucking Tao, you know, the Tao, you know, love, <laughs> you know, he's basically summing up that book in a song, but basically talking about how to love better in a way or be a mm-hmm. better partner, which is just like, you know, how many punk albums were talking about that, you know, at that time. Maybe there's some, but. But for instance, that like lots of things like he's talking about, he's imagining, he's proposing almost like a better, a better world, a different, you know, world, an alternative in a lot of ways. Optimism. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's optimistic, cautiously optimistic, but. I know that you would get a lot of pushback in some punk communities for suggesting that punk is optimism, but I think that that is a very good point. And if we use that as like a bedrock for building like, Ideal ideology for social change that gets to something really important, and I think in that way, like there's even some, uh, you know, wings of hip hop that can be considered punk. Like, what do you guys think of that? Yeah, it was the whole rock and roll Hall of Fame controversy about NWA getting uh, uh, put in the Hall of Fame, and all the usual dipshits coming out and <laughs> you know, complaining about it. Straight out but of that, Compton. That was, that's what caused. Oh, sorry, finish. Oh, no, I was just going to say that to me, Straight Outta Compton is a punk record. Like, as far as ideology goes, I'm getting a lot of like people looking down like, I don't know. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, No, I I mean, there's it's like you said, like, is it a sound or is it a state of mind and ideology? And like, I, I feel like there is a sound associated with it, but it is definitely more of a philosophy. Mm-hmm. really it, it it seems that way anyway because that's what like that's what really if if it weren't if it weren't that then you could just make money off of it and not be considered a sellout sure you know what i mean at least that's what it seems like if it's more of it's yeah it's more of uh an idea yeah especially you know you look at the late 90s early 2000s with the pop punk boom you know you've got a lot of that sound but you don't have any of of that uh, push for um, social consciousness, you know, offspring are singing about how they want to be on Ricky Lake or whatever. <laughs> That's true. And you know, yeah. Green Day did have American Idiot to their credit, but I will say this though: the Offspring's first album has a song called "Kill the President." 
FYI. <laughs> that, that's not calling for change. <laughs> was, was that Ignition? Was that on Ignition? No, it was the first one, the self-titled one. Oh, they wow. Had, they had one of the highest-selling independent albums of all time. I think it that's still Rash, is. Yeah. Well, is it still the mo- uh, is is Smash the... Somebody looked this up. Is Smash still the highest-selling independent a record? Checker. It was for a while. Yeah. Epitaph. <clears throat> Yeah, back when Epitaph was, uh, yeah, wow. The, the other thing, too, that, you know, the interesting thing to discuss, right, is it depends on who you're talking to. If you're yeah. talking to someone in the punk scene, they're going to tell you that, you know, Offspring and Green Day are not punk. But if right. you were to talk to my mom, for instance, she would be like, this is god-awful, abhorrent music. What is this, you know, punk rock that you're playing? Yeah. So it's subjective, too, right? So then you could yeah. probably apply that same frame of reference to people within the punk scene who are the ones that are most critical of what is and what isn't punk. And I mean, I can say this myself, having been involved with it for as long as I have. Some people disagree with my choices in music. And I mean, objectively speaking, it's far more punk than the majority of pop music that's played. But it's still not punk enough for some people, but too much for others. Mm-hmm. This really comes down to how far you want to apply the microscope or you know the magnifying glass to someone's particular choice of music i don't know yeah, do you think do you think the act of telling someone what punk what is punk and isn't punk is that punk great, great <laughs> question <laughs> i mean in some ways i think his head I, just exploded he's dead he's gone <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know it's a good point though i don't know it also depends on where you point the microscope to because you know on the topic of green day like yeah you know their recent album is just like garage pop trash to some people but at the same time they to this day donate copious amounts of money to 924 gilman where they started and like where punk bands continue to come up so they're like very involved in the diy scene still even though they are multi-millionaires making you know radio pop Mm. so They're still doing punk things. I mean, even throughout their career, watch their TV appearances. I mm-hmm. mean, objectively speaking, they're not street punks or gutter punks. But at the same time, you know, is it punk to accept a paycheck? Is it punk to be good at what you're trying to do as a career? I, I don't I'm not one. I can't make that assessment. There are a lot of people who say that if you participate in a system, even though you are fighting the system, that that makes you a sellout and that makes you compl- uh, complicit in the system. But how do you exist if you don't like play into it a little bit like Mm. i still need to eat i still need to pay for my residence and my health care like pay me for my arts until we have something better that's all i'm saying like if you know i'm not going to fault anyone for like signing that record deal as long as like it's what you want to do and as long as you're making the art you want to i may not admit like the art that comes out of you afterwards but you know do your thing do what makes you happy can't argue with that i guess Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna say don't do it doesn't make you happy (laughs) (laughs) you know you know what i'm gonna say i'm gonna quote uh bad religion and say do what you want but don't do it around me Ah. there you go there it is i mean even bad religion has into the unknown i mean you know Mm. every, every band has their moment where it's judge someone based on their punk credibility i mean who are you but who are they it's mm-hmm. individual objectivity i don't i honestly have no clue i've spent a long time in my life trying to figure out what it means or doesn't mean to be punk and i guess that is what it means to be punk in a way kind of defining your own characteristics and whether or not you agree politically with the situation or not or ascribe to the values that your band that you're listening to is putting out 
it's up to you to decide. Maybe mm. that's it. it Maybe it's a free thinking mentality. Mm. Absolutely. And I think it depends on the era and the time too, because punk initially was a response to like album rock, to like the Led Zeppelins of the world. And this was, you don't have to be a virtuoso to make good music. That was what it was at the time. So I think it changes with each decade and each mm -hmm. time, right? So like Death Grips is Death Grips, you know? Those guys, you know, fuck, uh, excuse me, they screwed over their own record label and leaked all the emails, you know, <laughs> and said, screw you, we're not releasing. I mean, that's, you know. That's really punk. They ruined their relationship with any major label, basically, and will never have probably a major label deal again. But there's no, there's no live guitars or drums in it. It's all computers and, you know, vocals. So it's like some guys in the scene might take issue. Well, that's not, you know. Like, well, they should have just taken the record deal. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I think that there are moments and especially statements that you can make as an artist that are punk, even if you aren't necessarily an embodiment of that music and that ideology. Like someone could say yeah. something, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that is so punk. Like there's a lot that J. Cole does that I don't agree with. Um, <laughs> but he does have these moments in his in his songs where he advocates through change by first changing your mentality and changing like your like getting good with yourself pretty much like he talks about meditation he talks about um changing your own ideology and like fighting for social change by first doing that and i think that that's pretty punk personally like he's a student of uh cycles and his, of of oppression like he talks about mm -hmm. that a lot like you look at these regime changes where, you know, the oppressed becomes the oppressor. How do you break that? You break it from within. And I don't know. To me, that's punk. You admit that you never did this before. And then you. Uh... <laughs> no. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I like that. So we could talk forever about what is or isn't punk. <laughs> there are a couple more things I want to talk about in regard to this album. So one piece by Elizabeth Nelson in The Ringer, she talks about the 40th anniversary of this album. And one thing uh, stood out to me. She talked about Federico Garcia Lorca's concept of the duende, which is a demon that lives inside all of us that needs to be engaged for an artist to achieve something truly great. It's basically artistic inspiration awakened by true pain. So the, the old adage, you can't create art unless you're hurting. Or like, unless you're heartbroken. Mm. Um, and do you see that playing out in the subject matter of these songs? Take your time, guys. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> Next question. Uh, well, I mean, you say heartbroken, that can mean like a lot of things, right? Like it's, loss and pain. Basically, it's like, the thing that hurts you so badly that you have to shout out and rage against it and create. It's like I, the only time I've ever made a film that like won awards and this was back in college. So take that with a grain of salt. It was, <laughs> I had gotten dumped by this girl who I now don't even remember, but then I made a film about the breakup and like just won a whole bunch of awards at like the UCSB film festival. It makes sense. And I'm just like, oh yeah, like I created art because I was so heartbroken and Damn I it, I'm happy now. I can never do it again. <laughs> um, Good thing you have the film. You can remember her now. You can go look back and see it. It was a piece of shit. It. Don't even look for it. <laughs> I'm kind of interested. <laughs> can we do a screening now? 
<laughs> oh man, I'm not gonna go down that rabbit hole, guys. Um, it's not like that's one kind of pain or heartbreak that led to you making, you know, a film that mm-hmm. people enjoyed. Um, I don't know. I think it it just depends on what kind of pain you're talking about. Sometimes people, sometimes like, <laughs> sometimes there's people like more empathetic than me, right? Where everything happening outside of them, like it cause it affects them, right? They see things happening in their community, the world, and all that stuff, and that genuinely like fucks them up, and they have to like do something about it. That's what I feel coming out of this album, um, as opposed to like an individual's experience. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because um, London is drowning, right? So, yes, <laughs> <laughs> certainly seems like it. I don't think you have to be in pain to make great music or great art. I think it helps, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> I can. Um. So before we head into hashtag mood, because we're coming up on the end here, uh, I want to draw that lens over to kind of an unsung hero behind this album, and that is producer Guy Stevens. And we can't really talk about London Calling without mentioning this guy. Uh, he was well-renowned for <laughs> his work guy. at That's funny. Island Records and with Mott the Hoople, but he can generously be called volatile and had a strong working relationship with his own Duende. He <laughs> like, was an alcoholic, he was addicted to speed, and he was notorious for just like doing crazy things in the studio. Like one time Strummer was on the the piano and he like runs into the studio because he wasn't feeling it and just pours wine all over the all over the keys to get it. He's just like, I didn't like this. Not do it again. Exactly. <laughs> like he's that kind of producer. And he died a couple of years after this came out. And I don't know the cause. Like we can look it up, but I wouldn't be surprised because he was only we can imagine. When they got out, yeah, <laughs> strangled him. It was the only thing Jordan. keeping him alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, he. R.I.P. Yes, R.I.P. Guy Stevens. He was an avid collector of R&B and soul music, and he was an eclectic figure. And in order to find him, the Clash didn't know anyone who had his number, apparently, and so. Uh, Joe Strummer heard that he liked to drink on Oxford Street at one of the pubs and he just went from pub to pub looking for him until he finally found him and hired him. So that's the story behind how they got together. But I think one of the reasons why so much is known about him is because of his behavior and because of how volatile he is. And I think that we as a society have this sort of romantic obsession with a troubled genius and do you think that we encourage the type of self-destructive behavior that people like Guy and others like Lou Reed exhibit when we shine a light on them like this? Like, what's the the pushback in romanticizing these figures? It's sexy. It just equates with, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but it kind of is. It equates to the musician, right? Yeah. I mean, there's this expectation for anyone that's a musician to constantly be obliterated, whether it's drugs or alcohol, on stage or behind the scenes. It's just... You have to be some sort of tortured soul or have some degenerate drinking or drug problem in order to be an actual artist. Sort of goes back to that idea you were saying of the duendes. Like, if you Mm -hmm. don't have that, then what the fuck is the point? Yeah. And, you know, at least in some people's minds. Yeah. We think that you need to have it in order to create something great, which is a little troubling. And I know that, like, 
sometimes I feel really creative when I'm hurting, but that's not necessarily all I have to say. Mm-hmm. No, it's, I think that's a myth. I think that, or that, you know, creative inspiration has to come to you or yeah, or you have to be, you know, fucked up or an alcoholic. False. What are good examples of some artists who are easy to get along with or easy to work well, with? An artist who, is, who's, who I think is one of the most important artists of our time and the most innovative is Tyler, the creator, and he's sober. Mm-hmm. Is he really? Yeah. I didn't know that. that. And he also, I, I mean, he, he could be hurting too. That might be what I'm, what I'm missing <laughs> yeah. there. The thing is, we um, can be hurting, but we can also be in therapy. and We well, can also work on ourselves. And Yeah, it's one reason to be hurting just because things happen. It's another reason to be hurting because you're withdrawing like you know what i mean (laughs) yeah i mean they it's funny whenever you look at like the most like iconic rock stars it always seems like the ones who are propped up the most are the ones who died young you know like if you were to do a survey on like the most sold merchandise for rock artists probably be all dead people right it'd be like jim morrison jimi hendrix Janis Joplin, all people who died at 25. Yeah. Kurt Amy Cobain, Winehouse. The, the 26 Club, or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The way that the the culture sort of latches onto that are opportunistic, you know, people trying to sell merch off mm-hmm. of dead people. It always seems like it's those people who are truly hurting or, you know. And that and the fact that the culture, because that's more interesting, I guess, or it's more edgy, I guess. And so it's something most people don't do, something most people don't mm-hmm. understand, I think. But I think it's also people equate the art with like well it's because you know they're doing all kinds of drugs and they're drinking a lot sign me up whereas <laughs> whereas like whereas like no it's coming from somewhere somewhere real it's just like they just don't know how to deal with anything that they're feeling so they also do a lot of drugs and drink mm-hmm. um but they are just great artists but people don't, and i feel like a lot of people don't see it that way so i think to conclude this wing of conversation it's that if you're hurting, it's okay to get help and you don't need to romanticize the darkness in order to create great art. And we need to uh, remember that. And we need to shine a light on, you know, the Tyler of the Tyler, the creators of the world. Well, I think people are plenty doing that plenty. He won yeah, a Grammy. He's pretty. <laughs> he's, he's doing okay. He's got a pretty big light on him. Yep. <laughs> All right. So to end that downer of a note, we're going to <laughs> we're going to move on over to our favorite game, Hashtag Mood. Hashtag Mood is a game that we like to play at the end of every podcast involving our creativity and our extensive libraries of music in our brains that pushed out all the calculus that we learned in high school and college. Before you, you will see the unofficial fifth member of the podcast besides Drew, it is Mrs. Potts. Mrs. Bettina With Potts. a Z to avoid any kind of <laughs> copyright trouble. We don't need the mouse knocking on our door. Yeah, The Aldi version yeah. of the Mrs. Aldi. Potts. <laughs> is that technically not technically a licensed product? <laughs> I mean, you know what? I'm just going to assume it is. I'm going to assume that uh, Aldi did it uh, in 2013. <laughs> Within Mrs. Doc's <laughs> no. We're still looking for him. <laughs> then Mrs. You Potts, should, you should bleep that. You should bleep that, <laughs> bleep that out in the box. Within Mrs. Potts are several pre-written moods. Each of us are going to go around the circle and draw one and soundtrack it with four songs that match the mood. Without further ado, who'd like to go first? I'll go. While Pedro's drawing his mood, 
Let me remind you all to like and subscribe to the pod wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us a little rating. It helps us out a lot. Gets us in that algorithm. Gets more people listening. Also, follow Atwood Magazine and Tunes and Tumblers at all of our socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And write us at tunesandtumblerspod at gmail.com. Send us a mood. Send us your music. We might feature it on the show. All right, Pedro, tell us what you got. Okay, so I obviously got a mood from Ryan. What? Reading this. You've won the Pinewood Derby. Congrats. But your troop leader accused you of cheating, and he challenges you to an arm wrestling match. Get pumped for it. This is clearly you. So, first of all, I mean, what a fucking accusation. How dare you by 10CC? Wow. I'd like to congratulate you, though. That's a quite an accomplishment, regardless of the cheating. It's a real good job how you got away with it. Yes. Oh, sorry. So yes. He's, he's made this wild accusation against me. How dare him? And I just got to explain. I'm a winner, baby. By Mama RuPaul. Um, <laughs> and then after that, I mean, it's just sort of, you know, getting pumped, stretching, and I'm, I'm thinking uh, it's going down for real. GTFR mm. <laughs> by Flo Rida. Ooh, was there uh, another artist? Or it was just there was, I think there's a couple of features on it. It's like Sage, something like that. Sage Gemini. Anyway, Doesn't matter. you can find it. It's um, going down for real. And I... I feel like there should also be a little trash talking going on into this, right? And so I'm, I'm going to yeah. tell him that uh, by the end of this, he'll be singing that he just died in my arms tonight. <laughs> Cutting crew. Hell yeah. Nice. Wow. So there is, there's the mood and who the winner, I'll leave Incredible. it up to you guys. Yeah. Wow. Depends on what his playlist is. Yeah, that's yeah. We have to we have to find out what his playlist. I think is. the winner of that is the Boy Scouts of America. <laughs> oh, <God>. Be prepared. <laughs> He just plays Cheeseburger in Paradise on a loop while <laughs> downing ice-cold brewskis. That's him. <laughs> That's old troop leader rifle. All right, are we going in the circle? Am I going next? Sure. All right, what do we got here? You got coronavirus. That's the whole mood. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Timely. Very timely. I wonder how long that one's been in there. <laughs> yeah. One day I wrote that one. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, well... Um, this is a playlist that most of us will soon have. Damn. I'm going to start in the obvious place with Disturbs Down With The Sickness. Because <laughs> I am clearly down with the sickness, down with coronavirus. Every in time case. you cough, it's <laughs> <laughs> And next, we're going to go into Neil Diamond's Sweet Caroline for the lines, hands touching hands. <laughs> Reaching out, <laughs> touching me, touching you. None of those hands uh, were washed. Yeah. But None of the hands were washed, and that's clearly how I got it. Oh, damn. <laughs> nice. Uh, but now that I know I have it, it's time to go away and put myself on Love Lockdown by Kanye West. No. <laughs> Jesus. No, no love more for loving you. for me. Mm-mm. And you know, I'm probably not going to die from this. I don't have a compromised respiratory system. I am not elderly. I'm probably going to get through this, but you know, Luck Be a Lady uh, by Frank Sinatra, <laughs> where he sings, they call you Lady Luck, but there is room for a doubt. At times, you have a very unladylike way of running out. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Choke on that little nugget. Oh, God. You know it's like? It's like if, uh, do you ever hear Montage of, Montage of Heck? The Kurt <laughs> Cobain audio collage he made that was just like a nightmarish pop. No. 
It's amazing. Does that make it on the playlist, I hope? Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's there <laughs> now. Go find it. Wow, that was a... Uh, Montage. One of your best. Oh, thank you. One of your best. Well, hopefully I don't get the coronavirus. <clears throat> no. This be. could be our series finale. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Ryan, you're on deck. All right. Bit, you must commit. <laughs> Let's see what's in the hole. All right. Oh, wow. Starts off strong. Tragedy. Your sister just decided to give up her Netflix subscription, and now you have no way of finishing season two of you because of her selfish actions. Actions. That was an exclamation point. <laughs> what four songs are you playing while you ask around for a Netflix password? <laughs> it's not great. <clears throat> all right. So in all of this, I'm desperate to watch it. So I'm going to start off with the Unknown Mortal Orchestra. I can't keep checking my phone. Yes. <laughs> um, first place you look is you don't leave your house in the situation. If you're watching Netflix, you go in your building. So I'm going to go... <laughs> Tony Tony Orlando and Don knock three times on the ceiling. Love it. That's what you got to do. Excuse me, is there room on your Netflix account? Obviously, how many screens are you watching on right now? Yeah. (laughs) You know the song, it's not a success story song. So we got to hit the street. Randy Crawford, Street Life, as recently featured in Better Call Saul season four. True heads know. Now I'm on the street. It's not good news. All of this has been caused by TV bullshit. So I'm going to end with the Misfits TV casualty. (laughs) I love that in this scenario, this character being you has no friends to call. (laughs) He's got it covered. He he has a sister in an apartment. (laughs) This is a depressing, depressing person. There you have it, folks. <laughs> well done. Is that yours? You did that yeah, one? Yeah, I definitely uh, wrote okay. that one. All right. My sister actually runs the Hulu. I run the Netflix. There you mm-hmm. go. Clarification. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's me. You're up. Oh, yeah, you're, you're up. up. Cody's Sorry. up. We're all looking at him, and he's just like, <laughs> yeah. is there something on my face? Like, <laughs> no, I, I get used to it. You know, people look at me, and I just ignore him. Uh, su- surprise! Uh, you've won a free deep shampoo at Fantastic Sam's. <laughs> oh, I remember this mood. <laughs> See, I've never been to Fantastic Sam's, so this only partially applies to me. And you'll need a playlist, <laughs> duh. <laughs> okay, so um, gonna gonna stop to start with Madonna here. Vogue is that the name of the song? I think so. Yes, I don't know. It sure is. I, I'm not a, not the most familiar with Madge's songs, although I've heard them yes so you know if, if, and i'm picturing myself and picturing that's the word correct <laughs> correct vernacular i would love to just envision myself as a model you know superstar that's uh that's step one uh step two is going to be uh cindy lopper girls just want to have fun because yeah. once you get your hair done you got to go out and have a great night on the town right i love so, it absolutely Sure, but that, that's only part of it, right? So step three is uh, Joe Walsh, ILBTs, because that's how I want people to think about me. Uh, you, can, <laughs> you can listen to that song if you don't know what I'm talking about. Wow. <laughs> Joe Walsh. And then uh, step four is going to be Sir Gainsbourg, um, Love on the Beat, because that's what I'm doing <laughs> later that night. Holy wow, dude. <laughs> nice. Wow. Love on the Beat. That's like an 80s Sir Gangsburg. That's <laughs> that, like... was, that was all 80s. Wow. God damn. That was impressive. 
Oh my goodness, that was so great. <laughs> Another fantastic round of hashtag mood. Thank you all. Our guests always always do such a good job. Yeah. <laughs> we need to get more guests. Mm. We need to make more friends. Yeah, but unfortunately all we have is a sister. <laughs> <laughs> and neighbors we've never and met. <laughs> Well, that gorgeous mug looking in at us right now of Gerald Highwater giving us that that little come hither look means that it's last call. And we have to down the rest of this fine liqueur that you have brought, all these fine brandies, these these fine Rudy Can't Fails. And mm. uh, tell me, what are your lingering thoughts having talked about the nature of punk, about London Calling, about the clash, about brandy? What is on your mind still? <laughs> I want to say this. If you guys are looking for advice on um, you know, relationship intimacy advice, listen to Joe Strum listen to Uncle Joe, Uncle Joe Strummer on Lover's Rock. Don't listen to Uncle Joe Biden. Listen to Uncle Joe Strummer on Lover's Rock. He's talking about the Tao. He's talking about the joys of showing consideration for your partner. Don't listen to the Amtrak masseuse Joe Biden. Listen to Uncle Joe Strummer. Amtrak masseuse. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think Ryan said no, 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 no. That's not my line. I think SNL uh, SNL coined that no, one. I'm quoting you. Kate McKinnon as Elizabeth Warren <laughs> said that. But listen to Joe Strummer. Don't listen to Joe Biden. That's <laughs> what I want to say. Ryan said everything. I feel. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to follow that up. <laughs> there was one thing I wanted to add to kind of wash our mouth of all this Joe Biden stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that it's our mouths we have to watch. <laughs> Open up. What else get are you talking about? So, oh, I listen here, Jack. So after this album came out, The Clash did a very brief tour of the U.S. And they made a stop at San Francisco's Warfield Theater. And when he was doing uh, just sound check before the show, Joe Strummer noticed that the seats were too close to the stage. And he asked the theater manager if he could take out the first few rows of seats. The theater manager was upset saying, the people who paid for these seats will be really upset. And he said, you tell them Joe Strummer took them out so they could dance. And I think that Hell that yeah. is a great uh, ethos for this album. That's really weird that there were seats like <laughs> that close to the stage. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. That's um, a weird choice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that all of the venues in L.A., for the most part, don't have seats. Unless you're yeah. like sitting in the balcony with the parents. Unless you go to the Canyon Club in West Lake Agora. <laughs> Why am I going? Which we've there? obviously all been to and go to frequently. <laughs> I Great to... venue. How do you been? <laughs> I have. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Tunes and Tumblers. Tunes and Tumblers is an Atwood Magazine podcast. Be sure to like the show in Atwood on every social platform. Also, please rate and subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcast. It really helps us a lot. Tunes and Tumblers was produced as always by Drew Franzblau. Our theme song is by New New Girlfriend. And until next time, cheers. cheers.